I'm going to read Ephesians 4, verses 7. Well, I'm going to read from verse 1, actually, just to, just to see where we are in this. Paul is writing, he's in prison, and he's writing this letter to a bunch of Christians in the city of Ephesus, and it was probably also what's called a circular letter that was then distributed around lots of other local churches and read in them as well. Chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. One, one body. There is one body. There is one church. Don't be thinking 18 people got born again this week in a different church. <laughs> there is one church. There is one church. One body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given. So Paul has spoken about unity in the church. And now he's going to start speaking about diversity in the church. Unity is not uniformity. It is not everybody the same. It is diversity. And he now shifts gears from this unity in the church is going to be shown through a diverse group of people and through diverse gifting. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for freedom to sit this morning and to ponder it and hear it together, Father. I pray that your Spirit would take these words and make them live within us and change us and drive us forward into your great mission of building the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we go. Previously in Ephesus, we're not going to recap all of the first set of messages, but the first half of Ephesians 1 to 3 is all about what God has done in Christ to create a new humanity, a new people. He took separate people. He took the Jews. He took the Gentiles who were without God and without hope. And he brought them together in Christ and created one new people, one people 
Not multiple peoples, one people. The people who are dancing around in some tribe in Africa this morning worshipping Jesus are part of that one people with us. We are one people in Christ. That's what God has done. Ephesians 1 to 3 is full of huge truths about the gospel, about Jesus, about prayer, about the Holy Spirit, about the people of God. And then the first message from the second half of Ephesians a few weeks ago was about unity from chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. And today's message is going to be about gracious gifts. The gifts that God has given in Christ to the church in order to see the church built up. Before we get to those, there's a few verses in between and there's one or two tricky little things that I just want to give brief attention to and not fight over because I'm not entirely sure of them myself. But in Ephesians 4 verse 8, Paul quotes the Psalms. And what Paul says is on the screen, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. That's what Paul writes. It's from Psalm 68. But when you go back and look at Psalm 68, look at the screen just to see the difference. In Psalm 60, it's not working. What's going on? Scott, where are you? <laughs> it's not working. Hang on. It is a travesty. I didn't do anything. What did you do? <laughs> how, are, how are we now? Yeah, we're on now. I fixed it myself. <laughs> Um, yeah, what Paul writes is, in, is that he ascended on high, he took many captives, he gave gifts to his people. What the psalmist wrote was, when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people. And you just, you, I read that and, you know, I look at, at, at what, I'm, what the next passage is to preach on and I see a verse like that and I think, Paul, why did you do that? You know, why did you, why did you turn that round and, and make life difficult in order to have to explain that? The psalmist writes, you received gifts from people. Paul writes, you gave gifts to people. Um, and the only explanation that I can sort of find is that whenever an ancient king won a great victory, and he received and took plunder from the enemy, he then divided that plunder among his own people and shared it out with the people. And Paul is, is viewing, you know, the, the psalm was about the ark narrative that we looked at a few weeks ago, where the ark of God comes out of the tabernacle into Dagon's temple and then goes up to Mount Zion to a house of praise. And Paul, I think, is taking this and he is talking about how Jesus has ascended and is now distributing gifts to the church. So I'm just leaving that out there. You can go and chew on that yourself. Um, he also mentions in Ephesians 4, 9 and 10 a couple of difficult phrases where he talks about Jesus descending. It is highly likely that this is referring to the incarnation and the cross. When you read Paul's other writings, particularly Philippians 2, he talks about the humility, how Jesus humbled himself, particularly to death on a cross. 
It does not say in Ephesians 4, 9, and 10 that Jesus descended into hell. That is not what the verses say. It talks about a descent to the earth, to the lower earthly regions, which in other places in the Psalms in particular refers to the grave. So there's a good chance Paul is talking here about the incarnation and talking about Jesus' death on a cross. Then he gets on to talking about these gifts. Now, you are a gifted people. The church is a gifted people. The entire church globally is a gifted church. Front to back, side to side, gifted. We are charismatic. That can be misunderstood. But that is a simple meaning of the word that we believe that God has given gifts to his church. We are a gifted people. And the reason he has given us gifts is because Jesus is engaged in a massive global project that has not changed in 2,000 years and is declared in the center of Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel. In fact, in the structure of Mark, the statement is right in the middle. I will build my church. And the gifts that God gives are for the building of the church. That's it. They're not for entertainment. They're not for for some Christians to appear as super spiritual, special people. The gifts are for the building of the church, which has many, many different functions and facets and many different ways that it can happen. But that is the ultimate central purpose of God. If anyone ever asks you, what is God doing right now? What's he up to? The answer is he's building his church. That's what he's doing. That's what happened this week. He's building his church. That's what happens right now. He's building his church. He is building his church. And those gifts are for that. Now, this list that you read in Ephesians 4 is not an exhaustive list. It is not a silver bullet. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teacher, teachers. He lists five gifts here. In 1 Corinthians 12, he lists nine gifts. That's not an exhaustive list either. And it's a very narrow view of the Holy Spirit to talk about the nine gifts of the Spirit as if that's all there is. It's not all there is. In in Romans 12, other gifts are listed. And in 1 Peter 4, other gifts are listed. There's at least 20. And even those 20 are not exhaustive. So don't be reducing God down to a little formula. We can't do that. And when we do it, it just doesn't work out at all. Okay, the point is that God has given many gifts to his church for the building of the church. And Paul, when he lists those gifts, is not necessarily given an exhaustive list. He is giving examples of the diversity that exists within the people of God. So when you read 1 Corinthians 12 and you read about those gifts of the Holy Spirit and there are gifts like words of wisdom, words of knowledge and prophecy and tongues and interpretation and healing, that's, that's Paul just spitting out a pile of stuff and saying, this is a united church, but look at the diversity whenever they do their thing. That's what he's trying to do. He's not trying to give exhaustive, complete lists. Also, we, we narrow things too much when we just talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Because here in Ephesians 4, these are gifts that Jesus gives. And in Romans 12, if you read around the gifts in Romans 12, it's God the Father who is particularly at work in Romans 12. The whole Trinity together are building the church. 
It's not as if God and, and King Jesus are taking a back seat and letting the Holy Spirit do it. The whole Trinity are together in this project of building up the people of God. Now, this particular list in Ephesians 4, you may have heard them referred to as the five-fold ministry in the church. And more recently, in the last decade or two, you'll hear them referred to as apest, um, particularly in the writings of missiologists such as Alan Hirsch and other people like him. They'll talk about apest, these, these five gifts in the church. And I want to just take a look briefly at each one. I had considered stretching this out and then I thought, no, it'll run on too long. If people are keen, we'll maybe take a half day on a Saturday or a Sunday evening sometime and dive into these in a bit more detail and talk about them. But I just want to give a brief overview of each one and try to, to, to explain what these different functions are. The first one that's listed is apostles. Apostles. And the question, and it's a controversial question, are there apostles... In the church today. It depends, it depends how you define what an apostle is. In the New Testament you will read of apostles such as the twelve and Paul. Who saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. And who had the authority to write scripture. They were called apostles. I would put a capital A on that and I would say you don't have anyone around today like that. You don't have anyone around today who has the authority like they had to write scripture. But let's put a small a at the start of the word and just take a simple look at what the word means. In Greek it means sent. An apostle is someone who has been sent. That's it. In Latin the word is translated missio from which we get mission. And I would like to just throw it out there for you. You've probably thought about this before, but in case you haven't, that someone who is apostolic is a missionary, a church planter, someone who breaks new ground in the kingdom, someone who has the, the capacity to extend the reach of Christianity, a pioneer heart, someone who looks at something where there is nothing and can see in their mind there can be something there. They can start something new. They will go out. They are sort of entrepreneurs in the kingdom. They will go out and they will instigate new things in the kingdom of God. You guys are apostles in that understanding. You're apostolic. You're sent. You're missionaries. And all of us have that within us. A sense that we are sent into this world for the kingdom. But for some that calling is greater than others. Jesus said when he prayed in John 17, he prayed to the Father and said, As you sent me, I have sent them. Every Christian is sent. But there are some who just are particularly called to look at a place where there is nothing and to see something and to get stuck into it and see it happen. Where are the the interfaces. I remember preaching a message. Hopefully you vaguely remember it. I sometimes kid myself about that. But it was over there one morning about two years ago. The message was called Where the River Meets the Sea. 
and it was about the places where life meets death. And when life flows into death, it brings life. Where are the interfaces? Can you make those interfaces, those places of connection between the living and the dead? Apostles do that. Apostles go and create new places of connection between the living and the dead. Is that something that stirs your heart? Is that something that makes you come alive? Do you harbor little dreams in your mind of things that you could do to create connection between the kingdom of God and people in this world? The second one that Paul mentions is prophets. So just to back up to apostles, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant about saying that a person is an apostle. I think there's too much weight on the word. I prefer to say that that person is apostolic. That person is a missional heart. That person breaks new ground, starts new things. I think to, to, to put the word apostle on them is confusing for some people in terms of what it means. But I do believe in the church today, there are apostolic people. There are missionaries, church planters, people who just give something a shot. And can I just make it really clear to you? You have permission to fail. One of the greatest hindrances in, in the kingdom of God is that people are terrified that they'll give something a shot and it won't work. Fine. It's all right. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Prophets. I've listed a few things that just came to mind as I, as I thought about prophetic people. And some of the ones initially on that list might surprise you. Because we have this idea that prophets tell the future. Which again is a very narrow view and is not the major role of prophets in the scriptures. In the scriptures, prophets call people to repentance. Over and over again, they call God's people to repentance and to a holy life. They challenge them about how they're living. They call them out on sin. You know, other people will maybe overlook certain things, but if there's a prophet in the room, the prophet will just put a finger on it and say, no, that's not right. That grieves God. A prophet is ruthless about sin and about holiness. A prophet will always call people back to God, which means a prophet will call people to prayer. A prophetic person will be very focused on prayer, their own prayer and calling the church to prayer. They want people to be connected with God. A prophet will call people to be faithful to God. Over and over again in the Old Testament scriptures, God's people are unfaithful. And the prophets over and over again are calling them back like a, like a, like a wandering spouse. The prophets call them back to faithfulness to God. And prophets also call people to bless the marginalized. Again, you'll notice as you read Jeremiah and you read Isaiah, you will read the prophets calling people out on their mistreatment of marginalized people. That's prophetic. That's not just somebody who's got a kind heart. When somebody calls out situations in society that are unacceptable and that the church should reach into and bless and change, those people are acting in a prophetic way. Prophets will always call God's people to prayer. Whenever you sit and you talk about good ideas, the prophetic person will always be saying, have you prayed about this? Did you hear God about this? It's a good idea, but have we heard God? Have we really got God's leading in this? That's what they will do. And then also prophets do discern and speak out what God is saying, I believe, 
in certain situations. Sometimes that will do with things that are in the future. Frequently, more frequently, it'll be speaking into a present situation. Hearing and discerning what God would say. And with this, there comes tremendous responsibility. Tremendous responsibility. To, to have the... Audacity is not the right word, but to, to, to speak to someone and to actually indicate that you believe you're speaking something that God wants them to know or be aware of. There's tremendous responsibility with that. It is not to be taken lightly. It must always be held up to the light of Scripture. Always. And if it disagrees with Scripture, it is thrown out straight away. I think as well it should be written down. It should be dated. There should be a sense of, of serious responsibility whenever we talk about this. Um, I remember speaking to a, a girl one night in, in Monaghan, actually, at, a, at an event in Monaghan that I was speaking at. Events in Monaghan are funny because you've behaved so far this morning, but Monaghan people sometimes heckle you when you're speaking. And I was speaking at this event, youth event in Monaghan one Friday night, and I was getting heckled by a teenager. Um, wasn't really youth, it was young adults, and, and he was sort of, he shouldn't really have been there. Um, but he was there, and he was, he was heckling me, and I had one of those moments where something comes into your head, and before you have engaged your brain, it has tumbled out of your mouth. And after about 15 minutes of heckling, I said something, and he never spoke again for the rest of the message. But that night, there was a girl came up to me afterwards, and she said, I want you to, you know, I want to chat to you about something. And I said, that's grand. Can I pray for you first? Before you tell me what's going on, can, can, I, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah, work away. And, uh, and I prayed for her. Now, she was, I knew that she was foreign, but I didn't know where she was from. And I, I, I prayed for her. And as I prayed for her, I just felt God showing me a picture in my mind of her in a, in a, in a park in a city. Do you know the sort of Hyde Park, Central Park, these big, big parks in cities? She was in one of these parks. She was walking along the path. She actually had a pullover, you know, around her neck, that thing that people never really do anymore. You know, jumper with the arms tied around her neck. And she was walking along, sun was shining, it was a hot country, it was a city, and she was carrying big, big chunky books, big academic books, you know, that thick. And, and I, I said to her, listen, take this and do what you want with it. Throw it out, forget it if you want. But I just, as I started praying for you, this is in my mind. I can see you. You're in a park, it's a sunny day, you're in a city and you've got academic books and you're smiling like a Cheshire cat. You're just grinning from ear to ear. There's a sense that you're really happy, you're really content. Now you take that away and you do what you want with it. What do you want to chat about? And she said, I wanted you to pray with me because I'm considering moving back to Rio to go to university there. Now that's prophetic. I believe that's prophetic. And I believe that should be common among the people of God. Should be common. I remember a guy saying to, to us about 14, 15, 16. <laughs> yeah, the years are moving on. Uh, years ago, uh, we were innocently sitting at the back of a sort of a Pentecostal house meeting, gathering type thing. And this guy come over, a South African guy, I'd never seen him before. And he came over to me and he, he said to me, I can see you with your Bible open going one, two, three, teaching the scriptures to people. And I'd never done anything like that, ever. He says, I can see you doing that. These are powerful moments in your journey. 
and they're to be encouraged. And Paul tells us we should seek earnestly gifts. And, and prophecy is one that is so powerful in the church, but comes with massive responsibility. Evangelists communicate the gospel message. These are infectious people who recruit others to the cause. The evangelist is the guy who goes to see the movie before everybody else and then tells everybody else about it. You know that one who just can't flip and shut up about it. Um, they're like that with Jesus. They're so comfortable talking about Jesus with lost people. So comfortable. They love to be among non-Christians. In fact, they would probably choose to prefer to be among non-Christians. This is one that personally I am very, very weak in, in, in this area. And I'm, I'm well aware of it to the point that one night I was preaching at an event in, in Limavati. And I preached four times over the weekend. Been preaching on hope. It was a Sunday night. I just wanted to finish off and go home. And this girl came up to me afterwards and said, can I have a chat with you? And I was thinking, I want to get a chip and get down the road. Like, you know what? And, and she said, I, I, just, I just want to have a chat. So I found a sort of a, you know, couple of seats and sat down. And she said, I want to get saved. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, are you serious? Like, <laughs> just... It's not, it does not happen that often. It's not my calling. I don't neglect that, but it's just, and it's, it's really this shock. And she probably thought, what is up with this guy? Like, he's just preached all weekend and I want to get saved. And he looks totally mortified at the thought of it. And I wasn't sure what to say about, about evangelism. And then a guy wandered in here on Friday night and told us some stories about evangelism. Um, I don't, still not really entirely sure why he was here, but in he came. And uh, he, he's, he's, um, he's helping to organize an event later in the, in the year, a men's event where uh, a rally car will be here. And on, on the front of this car, it says, Jesus is the way. Is that what it says in the car? And um, other verses are, are around this car. And it would race in the circuit of Ireland and stuff like that. And he came and started telling stories about what goes on with this car. And he, he's not involved in the racing, but he just hangs around and, and he or organizes promotional events and, and that. But, you know, people will just all day long, they'll wander about and they'll wander back and forth in, in, in front of their garage at the rally. And then at the end of the day, when everybody's clearing up and going home, somebody will come over to him and say, what's up with that car? What does that mean? Can you tell me what that means? And he starts to then tell them about Jesus. And this guy, who's the most unassuming guy you've ever seen in your life, was telling this story that I can't tell because there's people's names in it that I don't want to have recorded and they're quite famous people who are contacting him. His phone rang in the middle of the night with somebody, uh, a, a personal assistant to, to a rather famous person whose name you would all know and said, you know, are you such and such? Did you send books to this person? And he says, I, I, well, my guy wants you to send books to him. And he's just like, this is ridiculous. It really is unbelievable the doors that God is opening for him and how easy it is for him. And I think evangelism a lot now happens via relationship. I was chatting to a guy yesterday from Lithuania who's only been saved three months and years, decades of heroin and methadone addiction. Uh, 20, suicide, 20 suicide attempts. Just crazy story. Really crazy story. And I, I was just sort of pushing him and probing him and saying, what, what happened? How, how, did, how did you get born again? What was, tell me the story. And he basically just said, that guy became a friend to me. 
and he loved me and he was patient with me and when I went off on one he let me go and when I came back he took me back and that, that was really it. It was the love and the relationship that then opened the door for the guy to hear about Jesus. And I really do think that a lot of our evangelism needs to be focused on relationships. Shepherds or pastors, they lead and they nurture and they disciple God's people and they maintain and defend the community of faith. And there's many more things that they do. When Jesus commissions Peter in John 21 says Peter do you love me and he says tend my sheep feed my lambs Peter go and do the work of a shepherd and I, I told you before recently it wasn't that long ago that the, the biblical model you know you look at Moses you look at David you look at Jesus you look at Paul you look at Peter the model for leadership is shepherd leadership and there's a there's a Canadian preacher called Carter Conlon who now preaches in Times Square Church in New York. And he tells this story of how when he used to be a sheep farmer in Canada, that if, if a wolf was spotted by some of the local farmers, they would all phone each other and they would, all, and they would say, listen, saw a wolf such and such a hill two hours ago, just keep an eye out. And he said whenever he heard that, he would sit on his rocking chair at the window all night long with his shotgun on his lap. I thought, that's it. That's it. Shepherds lead, nurture, disciple people. They're, they're focused on people developing in their walk with God, developing in the scriptures, developing in prayer. And whenever you get that right, whenever you get discipleship right, I believe so much flows out of that. You don't really have to push people into mission because they will want to do it. You don't have to push them into evangelism because they will want to do it. Because, because their love for Jesus and their understanding of the great story has, has so developed within them that it is instinctive. The last one Paul mentions are teachers who communicate the word of God and explain it, who equip people with truth that guides behavior and who help people to understand the big story of God, not just a little bit of it, but the big story of the kingdom and of a God who loves his creation and loves people made in his image. John Stott said that nothing is more necessary for the building up of God's church in every age than an ample supply of God-gifted teachers. And this is not an exhaustive list. The list has not mentioned prayer. It has not mentioned praise. It has not mentioned generosity. It has not mentioned uh, other gifts that are mentioned in other places. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not just a case of, well, we get these things right and everything's going to be fine. No, but they are, they've got to be there. And if the church is not balanced, if a church is really, really focused on one thing and does not have the balance of the others, it will not fully represent Jesus in the community that it is in. So what is it that makes you come alive? When you think about those things, about being, about being sent and about starting new things that don't exist. About calling people to prayer and repentance and, and, and speaking God's word into situations. About being among the lost and telling them the gospel. About shepherding people and discipling them. About teaching the word of God. What makes you come alive? What makes you come alive? What stirs in you? And what are you going to do about it? What is it that you do and it leaves you knackered, but you fall into bed knowing that you've spent your day well?
Yeah. If you had occasions like that where you've just done something, you've given a few hours to something or some particular situation or a ministry or a person, and you fall into bed at night with just a sense of contentment, that was time well spent. That made me come alive. Whereas other things in the church just suck the life clean out of you because they're not really your calling. And what's the... What's the purpose of these gifts? If you read, I'm nearly done. If you read Ephesians 4 verse 12, you'll see the purpose. It is to prepare God's people for works of service. Now, get this. You will completely misunderstand this if you think that in every church there should be five people. One who is the apostle, one who is the prophet, one who is the evangelist, one who is the shepherd, and one who is the teacher and that everybody else comes and watches them. That is utterly, utterly unbiblical. This is about all of God's people. This is about everyone being in ministry, everyone being in ministry. The idea of professionalized ministry, where one or two people do everything and the others watch is unbiblical. This is about equipping the saints to prepare God's people for works of service, to equip them for ministry, that we all do it. As John Wimber famously said frequently, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. These are not the giftings of a limited few who are then watched by huge crowds. You read about the, the underground church in China, you will read of people who, who have networks of thousands of house churches and they don't control it. They allow people to flow in the gifts that God has given them. But one in 10 people in China now are Christians. That's absolutely vast for a nation like that. And it's because these giftings are being released and encouraged among the entire church and not being held on to by a limited number. And as I said earlier, you've permission to fail. What do you want to do? What do you want to take and just give it a shot for three months? And you know what? If you come back afterwards and say it didn't really work, that's fine. Well done for trying. What are you going to try next? Hmm? Stop fearing failure. Stop fearing that things won't work and give things a shot in the kingdom of God. You never know what might happen. You just never know what might happen. What is it that he's given you a burden for? In Ephesians 4, as you read on Ephesians 4.12, about preparing God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So many things whether that's adding to it, helping those that are in it, whatever it may be, that's the purpose. I know one person who is the perfect example of every one of these gifts. Hard to believe, I know. But someone who just embodies all of them. Really, it is a sight to behold. His name is Jesus. And he is the ultimate apostle because he was sent by the Father. 
And he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he's referred to by the writer of Hebrews as our apostle. He is the perfect example of one who was sent to pioneer. (laughs) Imagine that pioneering work that he has done. He was, he is the ultimate prophet. He was the very word of God become flesh among us. Calling people out of sin, calling them to repentance, calling them to holiness, speaking God's word to them. The perfect example of a prophet. He was an evangelist extraordinaire. Luke 15, lost sheep. And he'd leave the 99 and go after the one. Lost coin, lost son. He came, he said there's a case, to seek and to save the lost. He was an evangelist extraordinaire. He was the good shepherd. He didn't drive around after the sheep on a quad blasting the horn at them. (laughs) That's my neighbor does. (laughs) Early in the morning in the summertime. He laid down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd. And he is the teacher. Just flick through the Gospels and look for the red letters. (laughs) Massive chunks the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, on and on and on, the parables, the teaching. When Jesus saw a large crowd, I love this, I just read this the other morning, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? Tell them how bad they were. Tell them that they're all going to hell. Tell them that eternal damnation is waiting for them. What did he do with them? He began teaching them. He began to tell them about God, what God's really like. So teaching is an act of compassion. So period one tomorrow morning when I take a bunch of teenagers and say, turn to whatever, that's an act of compassion. (laughs) That's, That's grace. Jesus is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. And if we're really going to reflect him, then these things must be active within the church, the whole church. The whole church. We cannot embody and incarnate him in a community if we leave some of these things out. So what makes you come alive? Who are you? As I went through those things, what, what, what among those did you find just stirring you and saying, I, that's me. Stop being shy about it. Stop being modest about it. Ask God to put his Holy Spirit in you and on you and to bring that gift on. There are apostolic people in the room. Some of you will plant churches. You will. (laughs) You think now and again David talks about planting churches and some wonderful person will come in and walk through the car park someday and that will be the person who will do it. No, it will be you. You have the DNA of of this vision within you, it'll be you. Who is it? Who is it that secretly harbors this little dream but hasn't spoken it out yet? What makes you come alive? Are you a prophet who calls people to prayer, who points at the brokenness of society and says, that's wrong and we cannot ignore that? Are you an evangelist who just loves to sit with half a dozen lost people? 
just find yourself alive in that context, thriving in it, not shy about it, just love it. Where are you? Jesus, thank you for the, the gifts that you have given for the building of your church. You've given us everything we need, Lord. We lack nothing. We lack nothing, Father. And I pray, Father, for understanding this morning that this is not an exclusive or complete list, but boy, it's a good one. I pray for understanding this morning, Lord, that ministry is not the exclusive job of a few professionals, but that the entire body of Christ are gifted and the entire body of Christ are called to minister and to serve and to see the church built up, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will speak these words into people's hearts this morning. Apostle, you're an apostle. You're going to break new ground. You're going to, 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 to bring something where there is nothing, literally nothing. You're going to start something. I pray you'll speak the word prophet into hearts this morning. I pray, Father, you'll stir up evangelists and take away any wrong notions of what it means. Boys with a big tent shouting at people night after night after night. Make it simple. Make it plain. It's about going after the lost. Maybe tomorrow morning in the coffee break in the canteen. Speak evangelist, Holy Spirit, I pray, into people's lives. Speak shepherd into people's lives. There'll be people sitting here just thinking, yeah, that's me. And teachers, Lord, so that your people would know your word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.